Welcome to this very special Iowa recap episode of Primarily 2020, the podcast all about the politics, policies, and personalities of the 2020 Democratic primary. I had, of course, intended originally to post this episode outside of my regular time schedule um, on Tuesday morning following the Monday night Iowa caucuses. Obviously, if you've been following the news, you'll know the reason why I was unable to post an episode um, with the results of Iowa on Tuesday, because here it is Friday and we haven't even really got them still completely. Um, So... Bottom line, right now, we do have results from 99% of precincts. Um, Those results are imperfect. There seem to be lots of errors in them even still. Um, But let's work on the assumption that the errors will fall roughly in one way or the other. Whatever happens, um, however it comes out in the corrected version, it seems clear that one of two candidates will have come out the winner of the Iowa caucuses, um, either Pete Buttigieg or Bernie Sanders. Both of them performed really well. Um, I am prepared to declare that for the most meaningful metric, which is the number of actual votes cast, Bernie Sanders is is most likely to come out the winner of the caucuses um, in that he ran up quite large numbers in urban districts um, and therefore um, although he's very close in a very close run race with Pete Buttigieg for who's going to get the most equivalent state delegates um, he probably almost certainly will wind up having the most people voting for him in the caucuses now um, obviously from from my point of view do in any meaningful sense, the winner of the race. The reason why you might argue um, that Pete's uh, state delegate equivalent possible victory. Um, it looks like he might be the winner on that measure, but it's it's very hard to know. The reason why that, that also is relevant and important is, first of all, that has historically always been the way that we measure um, the Iowa caucus results. So by any traditional measure, that would make Pete the the, the declared winner, should he be proven to have had those. <laughs> um, <coughs> and of course, um, Pete's team was very aware of this. So I was noticing during the final weeks of the uh, campaigning uh, that Mayor Pete was spending a lot of time in rural areas. And the specific reason for doing that was, as with the Electoral College nationally, rural districts with lower number of voters have a higher proportion of the delegate equivalents than urban areas, where, as is often the case, um, higher, denser populations are underrepresented. Now, that's not great, um, but it is the system that we were operating under. And so um, Mayor Pete's strategy was clearly, clearly based on maximizing that, whereas Bernie Sanders' strategy was clearly based on maximizing the number of people showing up, um, which is consistent with his um, his previous request, which was granted by the DNC, um, uh, to uh, ensure that the caucuses would in fact report the number of number of votes cast. Um, pre- historically, the the, the Iowa caucuses have not reported that information. They're doing it this time for the first time. Um, so let's let's. <laughs> that was a very complicated way of getting to the outcome of the election. Um, <clears throat> let's just 
quickly touch on what I think that means for the future of the race and where we'll go from here. Um, so let's just run down the candidates one by one. So let's take Bernie Sanders first, who I'm declaring the winner by number of votes cast. Um, a good night for him. Obviously, he'll go forward into New Hampshire um, as the, you know, effectively in some ways now the presumptive front runner, I would have to say, um, because of Biden's poor performance, which I'll come on to in a second. Um, so that's great news for Bernie Sanders. Um, it isn't perhaps quite as great news as I was expecting for him going into the caucuses. Um, it looked like his polling was surging in Iowa. It looked like he was going to pull out a clearer victory than he did. Um, so perhaps not quite the momentum that he he was hoping for in Iowa. But I think by any, any standard, you have to say good news for Sanders. Um, also good news for Mayor Pete. Um, now, for him, it was a more important piece of good news uh, because Sanders has um, New Hampshire coming up, which has always been a strong state for him. He's got lots of other and he's been in the top two um, candidates nationally for a long time. So he's always been a presumptive front runner. Buttigieg's strategy sort of much like I was saying about his um, effectively electoral vote strategy in, in the caucuses, has always been to maximize his performance in Iowa on the belief that um, Iowa is one of the strongest states for him demographically, that he could do really well in Iowa, that he could focus his energy on that in an Obama 2008 style strategy. Um, and then that would position him well to, to gain as he went into the next races. New Hampshire, obviously is coming up next. It's coming up on Tuesday. Um, and I already, you can see some impact of the Iowa vote because Pete Buttigieg has been um, surging, I think it's fair to say, in New Hampshire polls following the Iowa race. So really good news for Pete, really good news for Mayor Buttigieg. Strangely enough, also fairly good news for Elizabeth Warren, although she may not benefit from it as much because the news has been crowded out by so many other things. Um, but she came in at, I want to say it was around 18% of the vote in uh, Iowa. Hang on, just checking my stats now. Uh, yeah, it looks like she's bang on about 18% of the of the state delegates. Um, and although that's not a winning position, it's a strong third position. And I would have to say it's worth noting that that means she's outperformed her Iowa Iowa polling. She was about 12 or 14% in Iowa, 18% um, for caucusing. Um, so again, she's done really well. Um, whether that's going to help her or not, um, I suppose we'll have to wait and see. Um, but the, the the classic political tradition has always been that there are, quote, three tickets out of Iowa, um, by which standard Elizabeth Warren is carrying on and carrying on in a fairly strong position. She's got, a, she's got what we'd call a good third. Terrible fourth, however, uh, is former Vice President Joe Biden, um, who came in at 15.8% of the state delegate equivalents. Um, and I would say probably underperformed his, uh, even his Iowa expectations, um, and he was not expected to do particularly well. Um, so that's sad news for the former vice president. Um, he is probably the only candidate that I would say conspicuously underperformed against um, ex expectations in a way that will be damaging. Bernie Sanders might have underperformed expectations, but I would say not in a damaging way because he still won. <laughs> so that, that counts. Um, 
so yeah, um, and then Amy Klobuchar coming up behind now. Fifth place shouldn't matter, I suppose, but she did make a very credible twelve point three percent. So if you if you kind of take a step back from who's up, who's down, um, probably the big story out of Iowa, looking at it on a purely kind of rational basis, the kind of most surprising aspect of Iowa is how many candidates were viable there. Um, four candidates hit the fifteen percent delegate threshold. Um, that's that's a lot. <laughs> that's that that that's dividing across quite a lot of the field. It doesn't look like anybody's going to drop out of the race following from the Iowa performance. Um, so Iowa's really rendered a split verdict. Um, there's nothing. It's hard to take any useful information away from the outcome of the Iowa race, even if we assumed that the outcome was not in dispute. And unfortunately, it is. So that's not great. Um, and in fact, I'd, 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 I'd like to take a moment now to just talk about the future of Iowa as a caucus. Um, shortly, I am going to um, move on to an interview that I did on the night before the Iowa caucuses with friend of the pod, James O'Malley, talking about um, his trip to Iowa and his experience of traveling around, seeing the different candidates. And you'll hear from the tone of that interview, it's quite positive about the Iowa experience. Now, bear in mind, what we're talking about is not the Iowa caucusing experience, but the actual Iowa candidate contact experience. And it's been a controversy for a long, long time that Iowa is overrepresented in importance in the Democratic primary. Um, And I think my take on it is it absolutely is overrepresented. It is a white state. It is a small state. It is a rural state. Um, no disrespect to being any one of those things, but all three of those things are not necessarily kind of hugely representative of the country at large or the Democratic Party in particular. Um, so although I'm happy for Iowa to have an important place in the nation, I'm not so thrilled about the outsized role that they've long played in presidential primaries. Um, But I do think that the experience of having a state, any state, um, benefit from the advantage of up close and personal attention from the presidential campaigns is good for that state and good for democracy at large and fundamentally good for the candidates. I think all of the candidates have become better candidates on the trail as they've gone out and met voters in Iowa. So looking forward from this debacle, I think that the chair of the Iowa Democratic Party should never be allowed to run things in future. (laughs) I think Iowa probably um, should not be the first in the nation contest in future. Um, But I would like us to think about maybe a rotating system or, um, you know, picking a a system whereby the DNC picks um, a, a critical swing state to be our first in the nation state. If we had spent the energy that we spent in Iowa in, say, Wisconsin or Arizona or Georgia or Michigan or Pennsylvania, um, if there had been thousands and thousands of volunteers for lots of campaigns lined up, if there had been candidate visits from Democratic candidates constantly in a drumbeat manner throughout the election cycle, um, I think we would materially have improved our chances in those critical states. Now, we have some structural problems because the party um, is both parties are dealing with the fact that New Hampshire has a state law declaring that it must always be the first primary in the nation, which is 
plucky of New Hampshire. Um, and the reason why Iowa has gotten away with being first in the nation for so long is because they've, you know, tradition, but also because they're running a caucus process, not a primary. So they can get away with saying Iowa's the first caucus, New Hampshire's the first primary. I think we need to kind of take this head on um, and, and have a long chat with the people of New Hampshire. Um, or we need to allow for a caucus style system or an alternative primary process, hopefully a better organized one, a cleaner one. A caucus doesn't have to look the way the Iowa one looks. It can be much more simple. Um, but I think I would like to see us looking to try and get a rotating system of um, first-in-the-nation primaries um, that's not New Hampshire and that's not Iowa starting from the next time around. And I think that this debacle, uh, the disaster of the um, I, the, mis the malfunctioning Iowa caucuses um, and the total failure of the Iowa Democratic Party to run a process. And I was going to say a good process, but they just didn't run a process, um, is, is, is excellent evidence for why we need to move on from here. So, um, those are my thoughts. I'm happy to talk more about that debacle, but actually I'm lying. I'm not happy to talk more about that debacle. Let's just move on from it. Um, it was very bad. It was not what we wanted. It was the worst way to start what was meant to be a very positive race. Um, I know that there's a lot of understandable anger and frustration from amongst the supporters of, of, of a lot of the candidates. And particularly, understandably, the Bernie Sanders supporters are frustrated. Um, the Buttigieg supporters are equally frustrated. Uh, um, everybody's supporters are frustrated. Um, I just want us all to remember that we are we have all been badly let down by a system that completely broke um and that doesn't there was no what can i say the system is broken never assume malevolence where incompetence is a sufficient explanation um so let's get better let's do better and let's all focus on um eyes on the prize making sure that we fix what's t clearly terribly broken in our party's ability to run an effective process at state level. And that includes better support to state party committees from the national, um, from the national committee. Um, hundred percent. We need to invest more in our state parties. We need to, we need to invest for the long term. We need to invest in local races and local initiatives that will build up the kind of infrastructure as a party that will make us an effective operational body. Cause this was just nonsense. This was a, appalling. I do want to ask my listeners, though, to do one thing. As frustrating as Iowa was, as disappointing as it was to see the Republican Party um, allowing President Trump to escape impeachment this week, as bad as we feel so much of the time in our political life these days, um, the best counterpoint to all of that is to practice hope practice hopefulness, practice good faith and goodwill and belief um, and empathy and kindness to one another and the belief that together we can do more, um, more today, more tomorrow, do better. And I really want us all to focus on that this week because it's been a tough week all around. And hope is not something that just comes to you. It's something you have to actively practice. So I've been finding it really valuable to spend time talking to the supporters of a bunch of candidates about why they support those candidates um, for my The Case For series of candidate interviews. Um, I'll be posting another one on Monday. 
And I really encourage all of you, spend time with all the candidates. Listen really well to what they have to say, even if they're not your choice. Because I've been very pleasantly surprised by some interesting things that all of the candidates have had to say. And I've found it really valuable. And I found it really hopeful to hear what people have to say, even people that I, I probably am never going to support. Um, I've gained respect for them and I've gained admiration for them. And I just don't want us to turn into a party that has become all about tearing every part of our party down until the last survivor stands triumphant. Um, we are a team and we are all going to work together as a team when the time comes. Let's make sure we, we keep a little part of ourselves while we advocate for the candidates that we believe in most passionately. Let's make sure we keep a little part of ourselves that respects and admires what other people on the team have to offer. That's all I ask. Practice some hope, please. Look around. Um, be kind to other supporters of other candidates. Keep an open mind to other candidates, what they have to offer. Um, love your candidates with all your heart and all your minds, but like, find some love in your heart for everybody else too, okay? Because we're, we're all in this together, guys. Okay? Thanks. I am really excited today to welcome James O'Malley, who is dialing in uh, to talk to me about Iowa from what has to be the nerdiest vacation anyone has ever taken. Uh, friend of the pods, James has gone um, on vacation to Iowa to spend his holiday visiting campaign events. James, what's up with that? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm just intrigued by the democratic process. I, I'm sort of, you know, I was inspired by uh, the West Wing and following American politics obsessively for the past few years. So I thought, well, we, we could just go to Iowa and, and sort of soak up the atmosphere. And it, it has been genuinely inspiring. I, I, felt, in fact, I felt a little bit like an intruder on, you know, someone else's business as um, Iowans have been going about the important business of picking a president. But at the same time, it's, you know, I, I, it's just been amazing being here and it gives me a sort of a new appreciation for it. I sort of now, um, be, being here, buy, buy entirely into sort of the mythology around Iowa. You know, like how <laughs> everyone says, um, you know, Iowa's great because people see politicians close up and have to and can really interrogate them. And it's much better than just sort of seeing them on TV and judging them all. And, and you know, it's a much more personal experience. I completely see that. And I think for all the flaws of the system and for all of the criticisms of Iowa going first for demographic reasons, yeah, I think it's incredible. I, I'm, I'm, I'm completely sold. Yeah, I mean, in, in some ways, it's the question isn't, can we stop Iowa from being Iowa? But it's like, how can more of us have that kind of experience of direct participation in, in, mm -hmm. in our democracy? That that feels to me like the better question. Um, mm. But it's it's caucus night. So mm. tell me, give me, set the scene for me. Where are you? What's happening around you? <laughs> okay. so, well, well, so right now, I'm in an enormous Walmart uh, somewhere on the so outskirts American. of Des Moines. Um, yeah, I'm, we're currently get, we're going going we're going to go and have a look at the uh, guns counter in a moment and and, and then gawp at that as as British people. <laughs> um, but more broadly, we've been staying in um, Des Moines for the past three days and we've been sort of uh, going around getting into various yeah, rallies and yeah, events and so on. So um, <laughs> just the other night, we went the night we got here, which was Friday night, I think. Uh, we went to a, a massive Bernie rally. It was. Um, at some sort of event space in Des Moines. It was like a big concert for uh, Bernie with um, the special celebrity guest was 
the musician Bon Iver, who right. I'm, I'm unfamiliar with because I'm completely out <laughs> of touch and uncool. But my, my friend who I'm with, uh, he's very into Bon Iver. So he was very excited. Um, but we turned uh, up. Sorry, Bon Iver uh, is male, female? Uh, it's, it's, I think it's a bloke. It, it, was, it was a bloke who sings some rather sort of sad, depressing songs. It was right. a bit odd because the rally was all hyping everyone up, getting everyone ready to vote in the caucus uh, of Bernie. And then the man came on and just sang some sort of sad songs. Brought, brought it, brought it down again. <laughs> yeah, so I'm so Bernie uncool that I've heard the name Bonnie Vare, but I don't know who that is. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a strange one. And you got the impression, it was really interesting actually being in the audience because you sort of think, um, you know, a Bernie rally especially is going to be full of you know bernie bro zealots and um well that's the sort of stereotype you might you might think and don't get me wrong there were a lot of you know bearded men hipstery beardy men with uh, checkered shirts there but there were also a lot of other people in the audience who were a lot of uh, undecided people i think a lot of people were there just for the concert and it was sort of fascinating because they um they rolled out a bunch of um different speakers as you might expect so uh, michael moore um, came up on stage and did uh, a sort of rip-roaring 20-minute uh, speech about Bernie, uh, which was all very exciting. And, you know, I think I'm, I've, I've mixed views on Michael Moore now. I'm a more mature um, political actor. I, I love Fahrenheit 9-11 back when I was 15 or whatever it was. <laughs> and um, But he really sort of fired the crowd up and he had this amazing ability to just riff endlessly. Every sentence he said could have been like the, 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 the end, the high note on the end of the speech. Um, and he, he stuck it to the DNC, which was controversial. Yeah. Got a little bit of booing of Hillary in there, which was <laughs> which was exciting to see. Um, and then Nina Turner, who I think was a, like a state uh, state representative from, forgive me, I don't know where she's from. I just remember her having a very striking coat. Yeah. Um, but she was good. It was like a, she was almost like a preacher in how she uh, sort of hyped the crowd up. Um, and then annoyingly, <laughs> despite us traveling all the way there and thinking it was amazing to have got into the Bernie rally, we felt a bit like we were infiltrating it because we were British. We had no business being there. Um, we got we got all the way there. And all the, the plan worked uh, 100% successfully, apart from the fact that Bernie didn't turn up. Um, right. <laughs> because, uh, because he was busy in the Senate impeaching the president. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he did call in and gave a bit of a, gave a, gave a, bit of a stump speech. Um, to the crowd, and then they had Jane Sanders, um, his wife, um, do a, do a, do what was clearly going to be the Bernie speech because they brought up uh, supporters on the stage to hold the placards behind her while she did it. Then there was a big American flag and Iowa flag, and she's—I don't think she was the best speaker, but um, mm. but in, in, in any case, we 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 got a sense of we felt a little bit of the burn, as it were. So, um, just sticking <laughs> with the Bernie rally, then I mean. Mm. The audience, it sounds like it was, was quite mixed. In terms of the speakers, what did you think was the key message? If you know, if you want to say what was the closing argument for Bernie's campaign, what did you feel like they were trying to get across as the key takeaway for, for their audience, especially those undecided voters in this final moment before the caucus? That's a, that's a very good question. Um, I think it was sort of more of what, what, what you would expect. There was a lot of repeating of the phrase, uh, what was it? It was a... Uh, you know, uh, multi-generational, multi-racial, uh, um, uh, something else uh, to sort of show the sort of breadth of the coalition, I guess, to show it wasn't quite so narrow, uh, which was important. And then also, there was almost a little bit of bridge building. I know sort of uh, Bernie supporters have this sort of reputation for being right. hostile to a lot of the rest of the Democrats. But Bernie himself did say, we need to get behind whoever the nominee is. But, pres but <laughs> presumably... That, but that's that's interesting to me, though, because mm. earlier you said some of his surrogates were 
booing. Um, you know, we're being a little bit more antagonistic, but mm. Bernie himself was trying to be quite careful. That's kind of a vibe we've had from the Bernie campaign before, where Bernie himself says and does the right things, but maybe isn't necessarily, you know, command and control over all the people who speak for him. Yeah, I got the impression that Michael Moore, uh, well, Michael Moore himself said on stage, you know, they, they haven't sanctioned me to say this before he ripped into the, the DNC. So I, 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 the cynical part of me wonders to what extent he's using the surrogates to say the things loud that he can't say, <laughs> if you yeah. see what I mean. Kind of win and, over um, the supporters with the with the hardcore stuff and then try and, mm. you know, manage the media carefully so that, you, you know, he can be quoted as having said what he's supposed to say. Yeah, so like I think I think there was actually a story off the back of the the rally because they also had a panel um, with three congresswomen on, uh, including Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, and one of them got into trouble for um, against us, um, for booing. Oh, that was that same. That was that, was that that same that rally? Was, I, yeah, I think that was the same one. And so I get the impression there's a, there's a sort of de deniability. You know, what's the what's the phrase? I'm looking, sorry, what's the phrase? I'm looking for plausible, uh, deniability. plausible deniability. There, that's the one. Um, mm. <laughs> So that, okay. that, that was, yeah, that was but, uh, sort of fascinating. But a good mood overall, kind of positive, upbeat atmosphere. How would you describe the personality of the rally? Yeah, no, it it was very upbeat. Everyone, you know, it was, it was certainly of all of the four events we went to, it was definitely the youngest uh, demographic um, in terms of supporters there. Everyone was in, um, you know, high spirits. Um, I wasn't so much because I'm old now and my legs started to hurt after the third hour. That's what got me about the Bernie rally. I mean, I don't know how representative this is of Bernie rallies more broadly. It was just how damn long it was. I, we went in thinking, well, it'll be, you know, an hour or two because they'll have uh, Michael Moore up to introduce him and then Bernie will come on. But it wasn't. It was just and then the musician or something like that. Um, <laughs> but, it, but it was pretty relentless with several uh, musical acts and so on. So it was more like a gig. Um, in some <laughs> respects, it was more like going to Hammersmith Apollo, um, <laughs> which I don't so do anymore because I'm too old for that. <laughs> well, if, if if I'm going to a gig, I'll look up the stage times on 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 the on the website before <laughs> I go for the main band because I'm you know I think oh I'm too old yeah. I'm too old for the support band. <laughs> um, so, so that was good. So that, that was fun, um, and it was it was just yeah it was just it's, again I've I've, not, I've got very little context to sort of calibrate my expectations and so on, um, but it was sort of fascinating. Just turning up and going in there, and we we got there about an hour an hour early, and, and got in absolutely fine. But there was a bit of a gauntlet to run with people saying, "Have you checked in yet? Have you checked in yet?" Which basically meant people with mobile phones trying to register on the on yeah. the Bernie website, and then yeah. we were do like, "Do we have do we're, we have we're your English. details?" And then yeah, and um, but we always said we we're English. They just do it backward and let us in anyway. So <laughs> that, that that was that was all right. Um, okay. Yeah. okay, so that was. That, so that was the Bernie rally. What mm. was the next event you went to? Ah, so next morning we went over to, we drove to Cedar Rapids uh, for an 11 a.m. or it was, it was 12 p.m. Uh, rally with Elizabeth Warren. At, it was held at uh, Coe College, which is some sort of college uh, in Cedar Rapids, um, in the Cohawk Arena, which I guess is for their basketball team. And that was that was much more a traditional looking rally, what I sort of expected um, going to Iowa. It was a, you know, a gymnasium, maybe about, maybe about 500 people there, something like that. But there was, um, you know, a seated audience. There was a stage with a podium on. And because we got there, we again, we got there sort of an hour before they opened the door. We were like sixth in the queue. So we ended up sat straight right in front of the podium. So Elizabeth Warren was stood about 10 feet away from me. 
which was quite surreal. Um, given, <laughs> you know, I've been reading and consuming content about this primary um, and American politics more broadly for years and years and years. And then to see someone so mega famous right in front of you, very yeah. odd feeling. Um, but yeah, they, she had um, Ayanna Presley uh, introducing her as a surrogate. Uh, she had um, also a uh, I think it was a, a precinct captain or someone in the campaign who was uh, just like a student who had a personal story about uh, the impact of health policies um, and so on, and um, sort of to see up the audience. And then, yeah, and then Warren came on. And um, yeah, I've always been uh, sort of most partial to Warren, if, I, if I'm allowed an opinion <laughs> on this primary. As a of person. course. <laughs> I've, I've, been a, um, I've been a big fan of Warren because... I fit back in the middle of the, the Warren demographic. I'm, you know, I'm a college-educated urban, <laughs> you know, metropolitan elite or whatever. Um, yeah, if you so, don't like Warren, who um, would? Like, you're, you're exactly. square but, um, in demographic. Exactly. But seeing her in person was incredible because she's just, she's just so good. And, um, both me, and, you know, my friends came away as well thinking she was just really good at what she did. She was so... Clearly, she's done thousands and thousands of these by this point. But she was just so on it. She gave this, you know, she gave a great speech, got some laughs. I've heard a lot of the jokes before and just um, <laughs> video clips and stuff. But then also when she was taking audience questions, and it was just like, if only, if only more people were like me, suppose <laughs> she could be president. She's, she's yeah. sorted a lot out because she's got the right critique. Um, yeah, it's, uh, inter- it's, it's interesting what you say about having heard some of the jokes before and, and you know, mm-hmm. she's giving a stump speech and all that stuff, because one of the big problems at this stage in a campaign for a lot of candidates is because mm-hmm. they know their stump speech so well, they kind of go on autopilot and it's not, it's hard to keep yourself excited about it. But it sounds like you felt like she still felt very fresh, even though, you know, she's probably had to give this speech five times a day for the last year and a half. Yeah, I think she did the sort of thing comedians do really well. You know, comedians will have material nailed down. They know exactly how to frame a phrase a sentence so the joke lands exactly correctly. And she was doing the sort of the same thing. So uh, she'd get a question from uh, someone in the audience. Blah, 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 climate change, blah, 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 blah. And then she'd use that and eventually take an answer to that. And then it was like you watch her sort of maneuver into the sort of stump speechy sort of soundbitey way she's already practiced telling that story. Um, so it was sort of, <laughs> it was like I was admiring her skill at doing that, but it still felt broadly, it's, I, that's, the, that's the thing, it was, a, it was a good magic trick because it felt authentic still, it still felt yeah. uh, believable and like, like she cared and so on. And there was a really sort of uh, heart-rending moment at the rally where um, all the questions actually were really, really good. This, uh, throughout all of the events we went to, whenever they took questions, I was, and this is what, what makes me buy into the Iowa mythology, every, almost every single question was incredibly thoughtful and incredibly detailed to an extent that you wouldn't expect. Um, and um, like there was someone who asked Pete, or I'll tell you about in a minute, who um, asked about his time at McKinsey and had this really <laughs> thoughtful question about it. Um, but then at the Warren event, there was just this woman who was like, um, how, can, how can I reassure my kids that everything's going to be okay? She seemed genuinely quite emotional. Um, about it and everyone you know the room went silent and everyone uh, you know could really sort of get a sense of the stakes of the election uh, with it and then Warren took that and um, was able to sort of exempt she, she said tell me more about what, what you're worried about and she said climate change and war and Warren was able to take this and then sort of go into a patter about it uh, but yeah it was it was 
we, we came away, and I, I'm, I'm quite cynical. I'm, I'm British, so I'm inherently cynical about politics. Uh, we don't have the sort of reverence for uh, politics that Americans tend to have. Uh, but we both kept, we all came away thinking, yeah, that was genuinely inspiring to see us be. Uh, so uh, that that was that was, it was a generally uplifting experience. Um, I'm just oh, and, um, yeah, that was that's basically all my Warren observations. Yeah. So tell me, bail- oh yeah, so carry on. Tell me about the crowd. Who who was there? I mean, you said Bernie's crowd felt like a mix of what you'd expect of Bernie people and maybe some undecideds who are trying to make up their mind. What did the makeup of Warren's audience look like to you? Uh, it was yeah, it was slightly older. It was more mixed. There was a lot of students there, but that could have been because it was at a university. I think the, the difficulties because we were looking at all the demographics of all the events. All the events were on slightly different scales, so it was sort of hard to compare. Like the Pete audience was much older, but we were in an elementary school hall in a small town for that. So mm-hmm. that might have just been the demographics of the town. But Warren's audience at this event was certainly there were there were more yeah there were more older people there, uh, more families. Um, and and a lot of students as well, um, and uh, oh, and, and the other thing I was going to say was uh, she brought Bailey her dog, and you know how she's famous for doing the selfie line. Yeah, I'm away for hours doing a thousand of selfies. Uh, she couldn't do that because uh, she had like four of these events on because it's the weekend before the caucus. Uh, but the dog stayed and did selfies with everyone, which was a nice thing. We, we nearly queued up for a selfie with the dog, but we had to get them to an next event ourselves. Uh, yeah. But yeah, demographically slightly slightly older. Pete's audience were definitely the oldest. But again, I can't. I don't want to make any huge sweeping judgments about that because that could just be the demographics. Sure. So it, it may or may not mean location. anything. That's just the observation. But I think mm. so. Coming on to Pete, I think the fact that you were in a smaller town is actually in itself kind of interesting because. Mm. One of the things I've heard about Pete's strategy is he's making more of a push than some of the other candidates are in more rural areas because he thinks he mm. can he can kind of run up his numbers there a little bit. What was the what was the vibe at Pete's rally? Kind of tell me more about where it was and what it looked like yeah. and, and so, what he said. So this was in a town called Anamosa, which I think was maybe 20, 30 miles outside of uh, Cedar Rapids, which was a small little town, and, in, and it was in an, it was in an elementary school um, cafeteria and um, behind. Uh, all the peat signs at the bottom of the wall, they just said you know, like Strawberry Hill Cafeteria or something like that. <laughs> and, um, you know, you were literally walking through the elementary school to get there. And there was maybe only about 100, pe- 100 people there. And so it was quite serious. So we all sat down and we walked in. We were, they were like, hi, are you here for Pete? Are you registered on the thing? Sorry, we're English. We just, you know, we want to, we're just inspired by the process and want to see that, uh, can, can we come in and watch the event? And they're like, yeah, sure, come in. And then Mayor Pete walks out and you think, wow, that's Mayor Pete who's, like thousands and thousands of words are written about him every day. He's all over uh, the news media. <laughs> hundreds of political correspondents are, are constantly covering him. And there he was in a tiny room talking to in me. In the flesh, gave, right here. In, in, the, in the flesh, again. So it was a much older audience um, who were, um, you know, who were there. They asked, um, again, some incredibly good questions, incredibly good question about his time at McKinsey. That wasn't just, how dare you work for a consultant, but was more, more measured than that. Um, and, and yeah, he, he, he was he was very engaging. I thought some of his answers were a bit fluffier than, than Warren's, like on the sort of details of the thing. Um, I'm trying to remember what the, the area, um, I think, oh, it was just McKinsey answer, actually. So the question was really good. But Pete's answer, basically, it was, was there any job losses uh, from his work at McKinsey? And he was like, well, I did work on this thing, but yeah, I don't think there was anything was right there. And then he quickly moved on to his, his, his next point. Um, yeah. But actually, the most interesting thing about the Pete rally, uh, well, it wasn't really the rally of Pete's, town hall i guess um other than the fact it was such a small room 
backwards sort of an older demographic was that you really got a sense and I, maybe again this was a scale thing because I, I didn't see the big Pete rally um, that he held I think either later in the day or the day after but was you really got a sense of it being more of a startup like a scrappy startup for the campaign mm-hmm. because uh, the van he arrived in outside appeared to be like an ice cream van or a mail truck that <laughs> um, had been repainted with Pete logos and like that was like they were sending merchandise um, out, out of the back of it um, after the event <laughs> um, I couldn't buy any because I'm not an American so I'm, I, I love that I love the ice cream but... van I, I feel like they can mm. turn the ice cream van into a meme right like you know <laughs> they called it the Pete Mobile which the was Pete Mobile. Fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah you really got you really got a sense of it being a, a, a sort of smaller thing actually and the most amazing thing about both the Pete event and the Warren event and the Biden event actually which I went to <laughs> yesterday there was no security this, I was. I, I expected all of these things because he's a major presidential candidate. It's the focus of the world's attention. You'd go into them, and you'd be, you know, full pat down, bag search, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But no, you just walk. You walk straight in. So, I, like, and maybe maybe that's normal in Iowa. I'm not. I'm not sure. Maybe that's my sort of London uh, preconceptions uh, for coming into things. Yeah, yeah you can't um, even walk into an office building without a full mm, pat down in London. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So, and, and this this is again what sort of sold me on the sort of Iowa mythology, in that. It really is people getting really up close with politicians. And, like, I guess if you live in Anamosa, you probably would have had a chance to encounter Pete several times and all the other candidates as well. And, oh, those are those, sorry, I'm all over the place. There was, um, there was a questioner at the Warren rally who mentioned the fact she'd been to see all of the other candidates. So it really is Iowans literally shopping around, going to see all the candidates in the person without before making up their mind about who to support. So there really yeah. is that sort of closeness to it, which is just so fascinating. Fantastic. So did Pete, at the Pete rally, was it just a Q&A? Mm. Did he also do a stump speech? Um, he, he did a little bit of a stump speech. Um, <laughs> just sort of, it was, it was only about sort of 10, 15 minutes, I think. Um, sort of running over the sort of, nothing I hadn't heard before on, on sort of recordings or on interviews and so on. Um, and um, yeah, and then, and then it was basically um, Q&A. Okay, good. Okay, so that was Pete. Um, and then... Biden. Yeah, this is our last one. We went to so this you've yesterday. The, you've hit the top four, so congrats. Well done. Yeah, in, t- in terms of this being a ridiculous holiday where we literally tried to just hunt down presidential candidates and, and, and look at them in person, it was a, a wholly successful thing. We didn't quite manage Klobuchar or Yang. We tried to get into a Yang rally, um, but the Yang <laughs> gang were, were out in force and we were too late to get in, um, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, the Biden rally was at a middle school um, so it was sort of a medium-sized uh, gymnasium. And again, walked in. I think Joe Biden, the actual vice president, no no X-ray machine or no, like, I'm sure there was security there watching everyone very close. But even then, it was very weird just to walk in and, um, <laughs> and not experience, um, you know, a full pat-down or anything. Um, but yeah, we, um, the Biden rally, um, I, I, I got the impression that was more of a sort of show of force. It was like Biden blast, um like rally before the, the caucus and so prior to biden coming on stage um he brought out uh two congresswomen um and then he brought out uh, tom vilsack the former governor of yeah. iowa to sort of do the endorsement with his wife uh, john kerry was there but didn't speak and i think that was because about an hour before the rally the the story broke about john kerry possibly considering a run himself 
There was that kerfuffle about him in a Des Moines Mm. hotel, I think it was, having a loud conversation on the phone about his own Mm. prospects for entering the race, which was just the cringiest thing (laughs) on so many levels. Like, don't have that conversation in public. Probably don't have that conversation at all at this point in the race and certainly don't have it when you've endorsed someone else. Oh yeah, it could tell. You could just tell it was it was very awkward. Listen, but if I was maybe I mean I who knows who cares what I think, but I would have thought Biden's people should have had Kerry come out do a full throated endorsement of Biden in front of the world's press and make a, maybe make a joke about him not running or something like that, just to sort of try and diffuse the story a little bit. But for whatever reason, um, and there was a bunch of other um, older senior politicians there. Chris Dodd was there, um, whose name I know but can't place. I think he ran in two thousand and eight, didn't he? Or something Sorry, like say, that. say it again. Who was uh, it? Chris, Chris Dodd. Chris Dodd, uh, former senator, senator yeah. for uh, Connecticut. Yeah, um, and there was a couple, yeah. there was a couple of other people there as well. So I, I got, I got the impression the whole the whole rally was like, "Hey, look at all these people supporting me." I'm, I'm we're getting the I'm band there. back it's, together. Exactly. <laughs> look funny. at me, say pair of hands. Yeah. Um, with all this sort of institutional support. Um, and yeah, and by, well, actually, most strike. This is this is a very mean thing to say, and not a particularly insightful. You wouldn't think I've got five years of studying <laughs> politics as a degree level or anything, uh, but he just looked old. And I know that's a mean point to make, and but that's how that. But it is part of Biden's sort of story. But seeing him in person, I did think he just looked a bit like a sort of Tutankhamun mummy, sort of you know the mummified Tutankhamun a little bit. And even don't get me wrong, when he was talking, he was animated and engaging and stuff like that, a little bit rambly. But I just thought he looks just look very. You get you get you know he, on the on the videos you see like the the adverts he put out online the, the the video he put out when he announced he was running it was clearly cake to bake up because in person you just thought yeah li- little bit little bit old. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that it's it's a shame you didn't see Bernie in person because I would have been curious. My impression on telly is that Bernie does not come across quite as old as Biden comes across, but I would have been curious to hear firsthand what what you know what they look like in person from that point of view. Yeah, no, that we we, we said the same thing. That would have been interesting. Well, I mean, Warren by comparison, um, I know she's like eight or nine years younger um, than Biden, but she you know she ran in and she, and she looked clearly quite you know she, she can run faster than she can run. Faster than I can. Um, she had she, it, she's like seven, it, she's early seventies herself. Youthful so, vibrancy. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. Any other observation? I'm trying to think what my, my other takeaways from the Biden event were. Um, well, so what was, was what was Biden's key message? Uh, yeah, he 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 was the only only candidate who really went after Trump <laughs> in a big way. His whole thing was that I'm the guy who can beat Trump. You know, I'm your safe pair of hands or whatever. And so he kept repeating, you know, he said he he never actually said the word. I don't think he said the word Trump very often, maybe once or twice over the course of the whole sort of the stump speech. Uh, but his, his you know, he, he was referring to events in the White House in the news. He was like, they've never, you know, I've been attacked more than anyone um, by this president. And I know how to deal with him and that sort of thing. Whereas all the other candidates, all the other candidates almost basically did, went without mentioning Trump at all. Um, so... <laughs> That, that was that, that was that was sort of my key takeaway from from it. It was yeah, he he was the, he was the anti-Trump guy. He's clearly again that feeds into what we already know about the Biden campaign. That his whole pitch is, hey, remember Obama? That was great. Let's go back to that. <laughs> so he, he, was, he was clearly hammering that home in the last days. 
Yeah. And so what was your take on it? Because one of the things I've heard a lot from from other people is that the Biden doesn't necessarily generate the enthusiasm that some of the other candidates do. Um, So I'm just curious, kind of how was the vibe in the crowd? Did people seem fired up? Were they a little more staid? Kind of what was what was going on in the in the people that you saw? Uh, yeah, they actually seemed sort of like the most fired up. It was the most sort of rally-ish rally. I mean, maybe the maybe the, Bern- the Bernie event was quite there, but there was no Bernie to sort of activate the crowd, if you see what I mean. And they were obviously still quite enthusiastic. Um, but certainly, yeah, with Biden there, there was there was chanting and cheering and more, more so than anything else. Um, and it, I think it was a smaller room. People were packed in tighter. We had to stand up for the... Um, for the Biden rally, and so it had that sort of more intense um, atmosphere. So I, I don't think it's fair comparison because, like the Pete, the Pete event was a town was was a small very small town hall. Those people were never going to start enthusiastically chanting rather than yeah. doing polite applause. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I don't I don't know how this goes in terms of uh, here's a terrible if you want a sort of super happy political pundit metric which is absolutely meaningless in terms of the yard sign primary um we've actually i think bernie is probably winning that in terms of the yard signs i've seen um <laughs> and then andrew yang is coming second which probably shows you how reliable yard signs are as a metric um but we've only seen one biden yard sign the whole time we've been in iowa right. um and yeah, i know so- i know there's reporting about biden's like ground game not being quite as developed or whatever yeah, I mean, for, you know, political followers will know that yard signs are rarely predictive, but, uh, mm. you know, pundits love to look around and be like, well, I'm not seeing any yard signs for so-and-so. Mm. However, um, it is noteworthy, you know, it is a signal of of something. It does signal a, a degree of intensity and, and, if nothing else, as you say, just organization that, you know, there are people mm. in the campaign who are able to hand out stuff to supporters um, mm. and get some visibility. So based on what you've seen, I know you've seen a, a kind of unrepresentative sample, but you've walked around, you've seen a lot of different parts of Iowa, you've been there a few days now. As a newcomer coming in, um, mm. if you had to kind of take a guess based on what you've seen, who you feel like is doing better, worse in Iowa, do you have a sense of kind of who seems to have the most energy behind them? Oh, this is a very dangerous question because um, I suspect some, most people will be listening And you will this, be proven um, correct or wrong the in the next few hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But in terms of, um, in terms of I'll, I'll, make, I'll make a wild guesses so anyone listening can, can tweet me about how wrong I am later. <laughs> um, but um, the person who I think has a surprising amount of enthusiasm uh, is Andrew Yang. Like, we've literally seen tons of like, Yang uh, yard signs, even driving through um, a small town uh, on the way on the way to look at a bridge um, earlier because I say we're on holiday we're looking at other stuff as well we went to look at this, this little bridge in Iowa um, there, was a, there was a Yang um, Yang sign or a few Yang signs in this um, in this small little town along with one house that was decked out with a Trump signage um, <laughs> and yeah and genuinely we have seen more Yang stuff probably second only to Bernie um, yeah so that, that that was probably I thought but then yeah, look, it does look like Bernie is going to win. Certainly, if, yeah. if all of the sort of the atmospherics, which I'm an unreliable reporter of, um, are anything any indication, I would be surprised if Bernie doesn't win. Yeah. 
So yeah, and that's what the polls say too. So I think you're not you're not mm. alone in that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it sounds like you're saying that Yang could do surprisingly well, um, and and that mm. would make sense. I mean, Klobuchar, who I think was was hoping for a solid for her a solid fourth place finish or even you know fifth place but competitive would be mm. good but of course she's been she's been away from the campaign trail as have you know Warren and Bernie but they had a more of a head start um did you see any signs of a latent Klobuchar surge uh I've seen literally maybe two Klobuchar signs but I think <laughs> I think that's it I I I'm, I'm normally we couldn't get to one of her events because basically um I think we could have we could have gone to a her Super Bowl watch party yesterday because uh, we we, fe- we figured out where that was. Um, but in the end, my friend, who's a big American football fan, I just wanted to watch the Super Bowls. <laughs> so we just went to a sports bar instead. That's way less um, interesting. <laughs> exactly. I know. I was like, oh, I should have gone to the rally. But, you know, holidays are about compromise. So um, <laughs> they, they've, had, they've, they've literally indulged me for three days watching politicians give speeches. <laughs> I, I suppose so that's I, fair. <laughs> yeah. So I, I can't, I'm afraid that's not offer too much insight there. So you watched the, you watched the Super Bowl? Uh, so, well, I was on Twitter and it was on and it was on the TV screen in the bar and I tried to understand what was going on. I watched the end. I, by the end of it, some, um, by the end of it, my friends had explained the rules to me, um, <laughs> so I, I sort of understood the, the dramatic turnaround with Kansas at the end. Well, I, it was I, all very I have exciting. An, I have an important election <laughs> question about the Super Bowl, mm. which is, um, I understand there were two election ads during the Super Bowl. That I, I heard mm. that Bloomberg was doing one and, and Trump was doing one. Did you see those? And what, what did you make of those? Uh, I, I saw the Bloomberg one um, uh, um, on, the, on the screen. The thing that fascinated me about that was I didn't see the Trump one for comparison. But the Bloomberg one, it was almost not about Bloomberg. It was um, it was focusing on uh, a woman's story about gun crime, as far as I could tell. Mm. And then it was like, you know, she was saying gun crime's terrible, my, my this one is being killed by guns or whatever. And then it pivoted to, oh, well, here's Mike Bloomberg. So I'm sort of intrigued by that because I don't know if he's got the sort of name recognition I mean, do people know who? I mean, I'm, I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people know who he is, but he's not exactly universally well known. Does he not have to do a bit of like biography building with his campaign? So mm. I'm not entirely sure what's going on there. But then I think yeah. his whole strategy of waiting for Super Tuesday and hoping for the best is a bit of a weird strategy in itself, anyway. So uh. <laughs> well, and, and now you're now that you're fully bought into the Iowa system, you'll be you can mm. resent him for skipping it. Yeah, exactly. But I, <laughs> but I think genuinely that is one of the criticisms of Bloomberg that I would have is that you know. You know, this is a democratic process, and you're supposed to engage with people. And he seems to be trying to just like jet stream it, fly way above the way above the ground level, and just try and swoop in. Um, so interesting, interesting. Listen, James, thank you so much um, for taking time out of your holiday to um, talk to me. I really appreciate it. Um, and I guess I guess we will touch base afterwards, and we'll find out whether you were right or wrong. But uh, yeah. Let's pack check all of my observations later to see if they actually bear any relation to reality. <laughs> we'll, we'll check in on that later on. But uh, I really appreciate the perspective. And hey, listen, enjoy the rest of your vacation. Oh, well, we're, we're going to do some normal tourism next. We're going to go. We're going to go. <laughs> and we're, we're ending up in Disney World, so that's going to be a bit more conventional. I'll, t- I'll tell you who's surging in Disney World if you want. Brilliant! Um, I few, actually would love it. Disney World, Florida. <laughs> Disney World, Orlando. Uh, Florida, yeah, yeah, Orlando, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> crucial swing state. I want to. Exactly. Who's getting the Mickey vote? <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Great to talk to you, Jake. Take care. And that's it. 
One final announcement before we go, I should let you know that um, because of the accelerating pace of the primary and because I've got so many exciting things lined up for you, I'm going to start posting a couple of episodes a week for a little while, mainly because I have these candidate endorsement um, episodes, the case four episodes coming up. Um, I've got things recorded for Andrew Yang, for Joe Biden. I've got a Pete Buttigieg episode coming up, um, looking to get an Amy Klobuchar one. Um, In each case, I've got really interesting conversations with interesting people who are strong supporters of one or the other of the candidates. You have already heard my Elizabeth Warren one, I hope, which was last Friday. Um, So check them out. Um, Starting from Monday, I'm going to try and post one of those episodes every Monday, as well as um, a Friday episode. So um, Uh, there you go. So add me to your Monday listen list as well as Fridays. Um, In the meantime, if you are not yet registered to vote or have not requested your absentee ballot, do so straight away, please. It's vote from abroad if you're an American overseas like me or vote.org if you're calling, if you're listening from from in the continental United States or, or indeed Alaska and Hawaii. (laughs) I should let you know, as always, that these podcasts are not affiliated with any other organization or entity. It's just me here, folks, wishing you a happy week, and I'll speak to you on Monday. Thank you.